Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 58 to 61, and in the previous episode, we read chapters 56 to 57, and we last left off on Jason and the rest of the gang, uh, and Nico as well, all uh, trying to repair the Argo II because of all of the incidents that have happened with all the monsters that they've been... um, dealing with so while that is occurring nico senses that percy and annabeth are actually close to the doors of death so that means that jason and the gang needs to get there quick however it seems that jason needs to find jason and the gang potentially won't be able to get there fast enough so nico suggests that they need to convince or at least ask the help of the king of the south wind and this turns into a very fascinating uh discussion between jason and nico as to how nico uh similarly to the other gods that we've seen doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere uh simply because he's the son of hades and he feels like an outcast most of the time so jason tried to help tried to convince him that no he's He's not alone, he's not necessarily, he's not at all an outcast to them, and they're there for them, that entire group is for for him, and ready to get him through anything that he's facing, but it seems that it's going to, hope, it, it seems that it's going to take a bit more um, to get Nico to uh, let his um, walls a bit more down. But I have no doubt that Jason will be successful sometime soon. So, yeah, that is a recap. And now we're going to move on to reading chapter 58 and 59. Then we'll move on to uh, our break. And then coming back, we'll read chapter 60 and 61 and finishing off with our Q&A session. So now, chapter 58, Jason. So it was a storm day. Oster, the Roman version of the South Wind, was holding court. The two previous days, Jason had dealt with notice. While the god's Greek version was fiery and quick to anger, at least he was quick. Oster? Well, not so much. White and red marble columns lined the throne room. The rough sandstone floor smoked under Jason's shoes. Steam hung in the air like the bathhouse back at Camp Jupiter, except bathhouses usually didn't have thunderstorms crackling across the ceiling lighting the room in disorienting flashes. Southern venti swirled through the hall in clouds of red dust and superheated air. Jason was careful to stay away from them. On his first day here, he'd accidentally brushed his hand through one. He'd gotten so many blisters, his fingers looked like tentacles. At the end of the room was the strangest throne Jason had ever seen. Made of equal parts fire and water, the dais was a bonfire, Flames and smoke curled up to form a seat. The back of the chair was a churning storm cloud. The armrests sizzled where moisture met fire. It didn't look very comfortable, but the god Oster lounged on it like he was ready for an easy afternoon of watching football. Standing up, he would have been about ten feet tall. A crown of steam wreathed his shaggy white hair. His beard was made of clouds constantly popping with lightning and raining down on the god's chest soaking his sand-colored toga. Jason wondered if you could shave a thundercloud beard. He thought it might be annoying to rain on yourself all the time, but Oster didn't seem to care. He reminded Jason of a soggy Santa Claus. 
but more lazy than jolly. Sal, the god's voice rumbled like an oncoming front. The son of Jupiter returns. Oster made it sound like Jason was late. Jason was tempted to remind the stupid wind god that he had spent hours outside every day waiting to be called. But he just bowed. My lord, he said, have you received any news of my friend? Friend? Leo Valdez, Jason tried to stay patient. The one who was taken by the winds. Oh, mm, yes, or rather, no, we have had no word. He was not taken by my winds. No doubt this was the work of Boreas or his spawn. Uh, yes, we knew that. That is the only reason why he took you in, of course. Oster's eyebrows rose into his wreath of steam. Boreas must be opposed. The north winds must be driven back. Yes, my lord. But to oppose Boreas, we really need to get our ship out of the harbor. Ship in the harbor? The god leaned back and chuckled, rain pouring out of his beard. You know the last time mortal ships came into my harbor? A king of Libya, Silos was his name. He blamed me for the scorching winds that burned his crops. Can you believe it? Jason gritted his teeth. He'd learned that Oster couldn't be rushed. In his rainy form, he was sluggish and warm and random. And did you burn those crops, my lord? Of course! Oster smiled good-naturedly. But what did Silos expect? Explanting crops at the edge of the Sahara? The fool launched his entire fleet against me. He intended to destroy my stronghold so the south wind could never blow again. I destroyed his fleet, of course. Of course. Oster narrowed his eyes. You aren't with Silos, are you? No, Lord Oster. I'm Jason Grace, son of Jupiter. Yes, of course, I like sons of Jupiter. But why are you still in my harbor? Jason suppressed a sigh. We don't have your permission to leave, my lord. Also, our ship is damaged. We need our mechanic, Leo Valdez, to repair the engine unless you know of another way. Hmm. Oster held up his fingers and let a death devil swirl between them like a baton. You know, people accuse me of being fickle. Some days I'm the scorching wind, the destroyer of crops, the Sirocco from Africa. Other days I'm gentle, heralding the warm summer rains and cooling fogs of the southern Mediterranean. And in the off-season, I have a lovely place in Cancun. At any rate, in ancient times, mortals both feared me and loved me. For a god, unpredictability can be a strength. Then you are truly strong, Jason said. Thank you, yes, but the same is not true of demigods. Oster leaned forward, close enough so that Jason could smell rain-soaked fields and hot sandy beaches. You remind me of my own children, Jason Grace. You have blown from place to place. You are undecided. You change day to day. If you could turn the windsock, which way would it blow? Sweat trickled between Jason's shoulders blades. Excuse me? You say you need a navigator. You need my permission. I say you need neither. It is time to choose a direction. A wind that blows aimlessly is of no use to anyone. Ah, uh, I... I don't... I don't understand. Even as he said it, he did understand. Nico had talked about not belonging anywhere. At least Nico was free of attachments. He could go wherever he chose. For months, Jason had been wrestling with the question of where he belonged. He 
He'd always, uh, he'd always chafed against the traditions of Camp Jupiter, the power plays, the infighting. But Reyna was a good person. She needed his help. If he turned his back on her, someone like Octavian could take over and ruin everything Jason did love about New Rome. Could he be so selfish as to leave? The very idea crushed him with guilt. But in his heart, he wanted to be at Camp Half-Blood. The months he'd spent there with Piper and Leo had felt more satisfying, more right than all his years at Camp Jupiter. Besides, at Camp Half-Blood, there was at least a chance he might meet his father someday. The gods hardly ever stopped by Camp Jupiter to say hello. Jason took a shaky breath. <sighs> yes, I know the direction I want to take. Good, and? Um, we still need a way to fix the ship. Is there? Oster raised an index finger. Still expecting guidance from the Wind Lords? A son of Jupiter should know better. Jason hesitated. We're leaving, Lord Oster. Today. The Wind God grinned and spread his hands. At last you announce your purpose! Then you have my permission to go, though you do not need it, and how you will you sail without your engineer, without your engines? Fixed. Jason felt the south wind zipping around him, winning and challenged like headstrong mustangs testing his will. All week he'd been waiting, hoping Oster would decide to help. For months he had worried about his obligations to Camp Jupiter, hoping his path would become clear. Now he realized he simply had to take what he wanted. He had to control the winds, not the other way around. You're going to help us, Jason said. Your venti can take the form of horses. You'll give us a team to pull the Argo the Second. They'll lead us to wherever Leo is. Wonderful! Oster beamed, his beard flashing with electricity. Now, can you make good on those bold words? Can you control what you ask for, or will you be torn apart? The god clapped his hands. Wind swirled around his throne and took the form of horses. These weren't dark and cold like Jason's friend Tempest. The south wind horses were made of fire, sand, and hot thunderstorm. Four of them raced past, their heat singeing the hair off Jason's arms. They galloped around the marble columns, spitting flames, neighing with a sound like sandblasters. The more they ran, the wilder they became. They started to eye Jason. Oster stroked his rainy beard. Do you know why the Venti can appear as horses, my boy? Every so often, we wind gods travel the earth in equine form. On occasion, we've been known to sire the fastest of all horses. Thanks, Jason muttered, though his teeth were chattering with fear. Too much information. One of the venti charged at Jason. He ducked aside, his clothes smoking from the close call. Sometimes, Oster continued cheerfully. Mortals recognize our divine blood. They will say, that horse runs like the wind, and for good reason. Like the fastest stallions, the venti are our children. The wind horses began to circle Jason. Like my friend Tempest, he ventured. Oh, well, Oster scowled. I fear that that one is a child of Boreas. How you tamed him, I will never know. These are my own offspring, a fine team of southern winds. Control them, Jason Grace, and they will pull your ship from the harbor. Control them, Jason thought. Yeah, <laughs> right. They ran back and forth, working up a frenzy. Like their master, the south wind, they were conflicted. Half hot, dry Sirico, half stormy, thunderhead. I need speed, Jason thought. I need purpose. 
He envisioned notice, the Greek version of the south wind, blistering hot, but very fast. In that moment, he chose Greek. He threw in his lot with Camp Half-Blood, and the horses changed. The storm clouds inside burned away, leaving nothing but red dust and shimmering heat. Like mirages on the Sahara. Well done, said the god. On the throne now sat notice, a bronze-skinned old man in a fiery Greek chiton, his head crowned with a wreath of withered, smoking barley. What are you waiting for? the god prompted. Jason turned toward the fiery windsteeds. Suddenly, he wasn't afraid of them. He thrust out his hand. A swirl of dust shot toward the nearest horse. A lasso, a rope of wind, more tightly wound than any tornado. Wrapped around the horse's neck, the wind formed a halter and brought the beast to a stop. Jason summoned another wind rope. He lashed a second horse, binding it to his will. In less than a minute, he had tethered all four venti. He reined them in, still whinnying and bucking, but they couldn't break Jason's ropes. It felt like flying four kites in a strong wind. Hard, yes, but not impossible. Very good, Jason Grace, Notice said. You are a son of Jupiter, yet you have chosen your own path, as the greatest demigods have done before you. You cannot control your parentage, but you can choose your legacy. Now, go. Lash your team to the prow and direct them toward Malta. Malta? Jason tried to focus, but the heat from the horses was making him lightheaded. He knew nothing about Malta, except for some vague story about a Maltese falcon. Were malts invented there? Once you arrive in the city of Valletta, Notice said, you will no longer need these horses. You mean, we'll find Leo there? The god shimmered, slowly fading into waves of heat. Your destiny grows clearer, Jason Grace. When the choice comes again, storm or fire, remember me and do not despair. The doors of the throne room burst open. The horses, smelling freedom, bolted for the exit. And that's the end of chapter 58. Very fascinating chapter as we get to see that Jason is seemingly the one who is making most of these decisions right now at hand. And it's very fascinating to compare all of these personalities, um, comparing the south wind to how Boris would react to a situation like this, and seeing how they're all differing in personalities, but as well as how Jason is responding to situations like this. So it's a very fascinating time indeed. Now we're going to move on to chapter 59, and then we'll shortly go for a break right after. So chapter 59, Jason. At 16, most kids would stress about parallel parking tests, getting a driver's license, and affording a car. Jason stressed about controlling a team of fiery horses with wind ropes. After making sure his friends were aboard and safely below deck, he lashed the venti to the prow of the Argo II, which Festus was not happy about. Straddled the figurehead and yelled, Giddy up! The venti tore across the waves. They weren't quite as fast as Hazel's horse, Arian, but they had a lot more heat. They kicked up a rooster tail of steam that made it almost impossible for Jason to see where they were going. The ship shot out of the bay. In no time, Africa was a hazy line on the horizon behind them. Maintaining the wind ropes took all of Jason's concentration. The horses strained to break free. Only his willpower kept them in check. Malta, he ordered. Straight to Malta. By the time land finally appeared in the distance, a hilly island carpeted with low stone buildings. Jason was soaked in sweat. 
His arms felt rubbery like he'd been holding a barbell straight out in front of him. He hoped they'd reach the right place because he couldn't keep the horses together any longer. He released the wind reins, the venti scattered into particles of sand and steam. Exhausted, Jason climbed down from the prow. He leaned against Festus's neck. The dragon turned and gave him a chin rug hug. Thanks, man, Jason said. Rough day, huh? Behind them, the door deck boards creaked. Jason? Piper called. Oh, gods, your arms. He hadn't noticed, but his skin was dotted with blisters. Piper unwrapped a square of ambrosia. Eat this. He chewed. His mouth was filled with the taste of fresh brownies, his favorite treat from the bakeries in New Rome. The blisters faced on his arms, his strength returned, but the brownie ambrosia tasted more bitter than usual, as if it somehow knew that Jason was turning his back on Camp Jupiter. This was no longer the taste of home. Thanks, Pipes, he murmured. How long was I? About six hours. Wow, Jason thought. No wonder he felt sore and hungry. The others? All fine. Tired of being cooped up. Should I tell them it's safe to come above deck? Jason licked his dry lips. Despite the ambrosia, he felt shaky. He didn't want the others to see him like this. Give me... A second, he said. Catch my breath. Piper leaned next to him. In her green tank top, her beige shorts, and her hiking boots, she looked like she was ready to climb a mountain and then fight an army at the top. Her dagger was strapped to her belt. Her cornucopia was slung over one shoulder. She'd taken to wearing the jagged bronze sword she'd recovered from Zethus the Boread, which was only slightly less intimidating than an assault rifle. During their time at Oster's Palace, Jason had watched Piper and Hazel spend hours sword fighting, something Piper had never been interested in before. Since her encounter with Keon, Piper seemed to be more wired, tensed up inside like a primed catapult as if she were determined never to be caught off guard again. Jason understood the feeling, but he was worried she was being too hard on herself. Nobody could be ready for anything all the time. He should know. He'd spent the last fight as a freeze-dried throw rug. He must have been staring, because she gave him a knowing smirk. Hey, I'm fine. We're fine. She perched on her tiptoes and kissed him, which felt as good as the ambrosia. Her eyes were flecked with so many colors, Jason could have stared into them all day, studying the changing patterns, the way people watch the northern lights. I'm lucky to have you, he said. Yeah, you are. She pushed his chest gently. Now, how do we get the ship to the docks? Jason frowned across the water. They were still half a mile from the island. He had no idea whether they could, they could get the engines working or the sails. Fortunately, Festus had been listening. He faced front and blew a plume of fire. The ship's engine clattered and hummed. It sounded like a massive bike with a busted chain, but they lurched forward. Slowly, the Ark of the Second headed toward the shore. Good dragon, Piper patted Festus's neck. The dragon's ruby eyes glinted as if he was pleased with himself. He seems different since you woke him, Jason said. More alive. The way he should be, Piper smiled. I guess once in a while we all need a wake-up call from somebody who loves us. Standing next to her, Jason felt so good. He could almost imagine their future together at Camp Half-Blood. Once the war was over, assuming they lived, assuming there was still a camp left to return to. When the choice comes again, no, no, notice uh, had said, 
Storm or fire, remember me, and do not despair. The closer they got to Greece, the more dread settled in Jason's chest. He was starting to think Piper was right about the storm or fire line in the prophecy. One of them, Jason or Leo, would not come back from this voyage alive. Which is why they had to find Leo. As much as Jason loved his life, he couldn't let his friend die for his sake. He could never live with the guilt. Of course, he hoped he was wrong. He hoped that they both came out of this quest okay, but if not, Jason had to be prepared. He would protect his friends and stop Gaia. Whatever it took. Do not despair. Yeah, easy for an immortal wind god to say. As the island got closer, Jason saw docks bristling with sails. From the rocky shoreline rose fortress-like seawalls. Fifty or sixty feet tall above that sprawled a medieval-looking city of church spires, domes, and tightly wedged buildings, all made of the same golden stone. From where Jason stood, it looked as if the city covered every inch of the island. He scanned the boats in the harbor, a hundred yards ahead, tied to the end of the longest dock, was a makeshift raft with a simple mast and a square canvas sail. On the back of the rudder was wired to some sort of machine. Even from this distance, Jason could see the glint of celestial bronze. Jason grinned. Only one demigod would make a boat like that. And he moored it as far as in the arbor as possible, where the Argo II couldn't fail to spot it. Get the others, Jason told Piper. Leo's here. And that's the end of chapter 50. Nine. This is definitely going to be a very fascinating next two chapters that we're going to read after the break. Um, we're going to, let's see. It, it'll be great to see the reunion and how potentially if how Leo's going to um, fix the ship once and for all and make some potentially some improvements as well. Um, it'll be very. Uh, I, I can't wait to see this. Read this after the break. So we shall go for a quick break. Uh, don't go anywhere. Maybe grab a few uh, a s- snack, maybe some water, and we will come back right after this break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back from the break. And now we're going to read chapter 60, Jason. They found Leo at the top of the city fortifications. He was sitting at an open air cafe overlooking the sea. Drinking a cup of coffee and dressed in... Wow. Time warp. Leo's outfit was identical to the one he'd worn the day they first arrived at Camp Half-Blood. Jeans, a white shirt, and an old army jacket, except that jacket had burned up months ago. Piper nearly knocked him out of his chair with a hug. Leo! Gods, where have you been? Valdez! Coach Edge grinned. Then he seemed to remember he had a reputation to protect, and he forced a scowl. You ever disappear like that again, you little punk, and I'll knock you into next month. Frank patted Leo on the back so hard it made him wince. Even Nico shook his hand. Hazel kissed Leo on the cheek. We thought you were dead. Leo mustered a faint smile. Hey, guys. Nah, nah, I'm good. Jason could tell he wasn't good. Leo wouldn't meet their eyes. His hands were perfectly still on the table. Leo's hands were never still. 
All the nervous energy had drained right out of him, replaced by a kind of wistful sadness. Jason wondered why his expression seemed familiar. Then he realized Nico D'Angelo had looked the same way after facing Cupid in the ruins of Salona. Leo was heartsick. As the others grabbed chairs from the nearby tables, Jason leaned in and squeezed his friend's shoulders. Hey man, he said. What happened? Leo's eyes swept around the group. The message was clear. Not here. Not in front of everyone. I got marooned, Leo said. Long story. How about you guys? What happened with Keon? Coach Head snorted. What happened? Piper happened. I'm telling you, this girl has skills. Coach. Piper protested. Edge began retelling the story, but in his version, Piper was a kung fu assassin and there were a lot more boreads. As the coach talked, Jason studied Leo with concern. This cafe had a perfect view of the harbor. Leo must have seen the Argo the second sail in. Yet he sat here drinking coffee, which he didn't even like, waiting for them to find him. That wasn't like Leo at all. The ship was the most important thing in his life. When he saw it coming to rescue him, Leo should have run down to the docks, whooping at the top of his lungs. Coach Hez was was just describing how Piper had defeated Keon with a roundhouse kick when Piper interrupted. Coach! She said, It didn't happen like that at all. I couldn't have done anything without Festus. Leo raised his eyebrows. But Festus was deactivated. Um, about that, Piper said. I, I sort of woke him up. Piper explained her version of events, how she'd rebooted the Metal Dragon with charm speak. Leo tapped his fingers on the table like some of his old energy was coming back. Shouldn't be possible, he murmured, unless the upgrades let him respond to voice commands. But if he's permanently activated, that means the navigation system and the crystal. Crystal? Jason asked. Leo flinched. Oh, nothing. Anyway, what happened after the wind bomb went off? Hazel took up the story. A waitress came over and offered them menus, and in no time, they were chowing down on sandwiches and sodas, enjoying the sunny day almost like a group of regular teenagers. Frank grabbed a tourist brochure stuck under the napkin dispenser. He began to read it. Piper patted Leo's arm like she couldn't believe he was really here. Nico stood at the edge of the group, eyeing the passing pedestrians as if they might be enemies. Coach Hedge munched on the salt and pepper shakers. Despite the happy reunion, everybody seemed more... subdued than usual like they were picking up on leo's mood jason had never really considered how important leo's sense of humor was to the group even when things were super serious they could always depend on leo to lighten things up now it felt like the whole team had dropped anchor so then jason harnessed the venti hazel finished and here we are leo whistled Hot air horses? Dang, Jason. So basically you held a bunch of gas together all the way to Malta, and then you let it loose. Jason frowned. You know, it doesn't sound so heroic when you put it that way. Yeah, well, I'm not. I'm an expert on hot air. I'm still wondering. Why Malta? I just kind of ended up here on the raft, but was that a random thing, or... Maybe because of this. Frank tapped his brochure. Says here Malta was where Calypso lived. A pint of blood drained from Leo's face. What now? Frank shrugged. According to this, her original home was an island called Gozo, just north of here. Calypso's a Greek myth thingy, right? Ah, Greek myth thingy. Coach Hedge rubbed his hands together. Maybe we get to fight her. Do we get to fight her? Because I'm ready. No. Leo murmured. No, we don't have to fight her, coach. 
Piper frowned. Leo, what's wrong? You look... Nothing's wrong. Leo shouted to his feet. Hey, we should get going. We've got work to do. But where did you go? Hazel asked. Where did you get those clothes? How? Jeez, ladies. Leo said, I appreciate the concern, but I don't need two extra moms. Piper, Piper smiled uncertainly. Okay, but... Chips to fix, Leo said. Fest is a check. Earth goddess to punch in the face. What are we waiting for? Leo's back. He spread his arms and grinned. He was making a brave attempt, but Jason could see the sadness lingering in his eyes. Something had happened to him. Something did with Calypso. Jason tried to remember the story about her. She was a sorceress of some sort. Maybe like Medea or Circe. But if Leo had escaped from an evil sorceress's lair, why did he seem so sad? Jason would have to talk to him later, make sure his buddy was okay, but for now, Leo clearly didn't want to be interrogated. Jason got up, clapped him on the shoulder, and said, Leo's right. We should get going. Everybody took the cue. They started wrapping up their food and finishing their drinks. Suddenly, Hazel gasped. Guys. She pointed to the northeast horizon. At first, Jason saw nothing but the sea, then a shriek of darkness shot into the air like black lightning as if pure night had torn through the daytime. I don't see anything, Coach Edge rumbled. Me neither, Piper said. Jason scanned his friends' faces. Most of them just looked confused. Nico was the only one who seemed to have noticed the black lightning. That can't be, Nico muttered. Greece is still hundreds of miles away. The darkness flashed again, momentarily leaching the color from the horizon. You think it's Epirus? Jason's whole skeleton tingled, the way he felt when he got hit by a thousand volts. He didn't know why he could see the dark flashes. He wasn't a child of the underworld, but it gave him a very bad feeling. Nico nodded. The house of Hades is open for business. A few seconds later, a rumbling sound washed over them like distant ar artillery. It's begun, Hazel said. What has? Leo asked. When the next flash happened, Hazel's gold eyes darkened like foil and fire. Gaia's final push, she said. The doors of death are working overtime. Her forces are entering the mortal world en masse. We'll never make it, Nico said. By the time we arrive, there'll be too many monsters to fight. Jason set his jaw. We'll defeat them, and we'll make it there fast. We've got Leo back. He'll give us the speed we need. He turned to his friend. Or is that just hot air? Leo managed a crooked grin. His eyes seemed to say, thanks. Time to bob fly, boys and girls, he said. Uncle Leo's still got a few tricks up his sleeves. And that's the end of chapter 60. It definitely, I think we could already see, first of all, it was a great chapter. And I think that with Leo back now, it's going to be definitely interesting to see how everything is going to, how the mood is going to be set. Because it seems that the group has acknowledged now the importance that leo brings to the group and i think that right now he's a little bit love struck and he still misses calypso but i think that overall i think this also helps the group realize what value leo brings to the table other than just you know fixing up ships and everything so it'll be very fascinating to see how the rest of this um chapter is gonna go as we continue to read chapter 61 and see how exactly the uh um, dynamics are gonna go. So, so, on with the show, with chapter 61, Percy, this time. Percy wasn't dead yet. 
but he was already tired of being a corpse. As they trudged toward the tar- heart of Tartarus, he kept glancing down at his body, wondering how it could belong to him. His arms looked like bleached leather pulled over sticks. His skeletal legs seemed to dissolve into smoke with every step. He'd learned to move normally within the death mist, more or less. The magical shroud still made him feel like he was wrapped in a coat of helium. He worried that the death mist might cling to him forever, even if they'd somehow managed to survive Tartarus. He didn't want to spend the rest of his life looking like an extra from The Walking Dead. Percy tried to focus on something else, but there was no safe direction to look. Under his feet, the ground glistened a nauseating purple, pulsating with webs of veins. In the dim red light of the blood clouds, death mist, Annabeth looked like a freshly risen zombie. Ahead of them was the most depressing view of all. Spread to the horizon was an army of monsters, flocks of winged arai, tribes of lumbering cyclops, clusters of floating evil spirits, thousands of baddies, maybe tens of thousands, all milling restlessly, pressing against one another, growling and fighting for space. Like the locker area of an overcrowded school between classes, if all the students were roid-raging mutants who smelled really bad. Bob led them toward the edge of the army. He made no effort to hide, not that it would have done any good. Being ten feet tall and glowing silver, Bob didn't do stealth very well. About thirty feet, thirty yards from the nearest monsters, Bob turned to face Percy. Stay quiet and stay behind me, he advised. They will not notice you. We hope, Percy muttered. On the titan's shoulder, small Bob woke up from a nap. He purred seismically and arched his back, turning skeletal then back to calico. At least he didn't seem nervous. Ameth examined her own zombie hands. Bob, if we're invisible, how can you see us? I mean, you're technically, you know. Yes, Bob said, but we are friends. Nix and her children could see us, Ameth said. Bob shrugged. That was in Nix's realm. That is different. Uh, Ray. Ameth didn't sound reassured, but they were here now. They didn't have any choice but to try. Percy stared at the war, a swarm of vicious monsters. Well, at least we won't have to worry about bumping into any other friends in this crowd. Bob grinned. Yes, that is good news. Now let's go. Death is close. The doors of death are close, Annabeth corrected. Let's watch the phrasing. The plun- they plunged into the crowd. Percy trembled so badly he was afraid the death mist would shake-, shake right off him. He'd seen a large group of monsters before. He'd fought an army of them during the Battle of Manhattan, but... This was different. Whenever he fought monsters in the mortal world, Percy at least knew he was defending his home. That gave him courage, no matter how bad the odds were. Here, Percy was the invader. He didn't belong in this multitude of monsters any more than the Minotaur belonged in Penn Station at rush hour. A few feet away, a group of Empusai tore into the carcass of a griffin while other griffins flew around them, squawking in outrage. A six-armed earthborn and a Lashagronian giant pummeled each other with rocks though Percy wasn't sure if they were fighting or just messing around. A dark wisp of smoke, Percy guessed it must be an Eidolon, seeped into a cyclops, made the monster hit himself in the face, then drifted off to possess another victim. Ameth whispered, Percy, look. A stone throwaway. A guy in a cowboy outfit was cracking a whip at some fire-breathing horses. The wrangler wore a Stritzen hat on his greasy hair, an extra-large set of jeans and a pair of black leather boots. From the side, he might have passed for human, until he turned, and Percy saw that his upper body was split into three different chests, each one dressed in a different color western shirt. 
He was definitely Garion, who had tried to kill Percy two years ago in Texas. Apparently, the evil rancher was anxious to break in a new herd. The idea that the, of that guy riding at the doors of death made Percy's sides hurt all over again. His ribs throbbed where the awry had unleashed Garion's dying curse back into the forest. He wanted to march up to the three-bodied rancher, smack him in the face, and yell, Thanks a lot, Tex! Sadly, he couldn't. How many other enemies were in this crowd? Percy began to realize that every battle he'd ever won had only been a temporary victory. No matter how strong or lucky he was, no matter how many monsters he destroyed, Percy would eventually fail. He was only one mortal. He would get too old, too weak, or too slow. He would die, and these monsters, they lasted forever. They just kept coming back. Maybe it would take them months or years to reform, maybe even centuries, but they would be reborn. Seeing them assembled in Tartarus, Percy felt as hopeless as the spirits in the river Cocytus. So what if he was a hero? So what if he did something brave? Evil was always here, regenerating, bubbling under the surface. Percy was no more than a minor annoyance to these immortal beings. They just had to outweigh him. Someday, Percy's sons or daughters might have to face them all over again. Sons and daughters. The thought jarred him. As quickly as hopelessness had overtaken him, it had disappeared, he glanced at Annabeth. She looked like a misty corpse, but he imagined his true appearance. Her gray eyes full of determination, her blonde hair pulled back in a bandana, her face weary and streaked with grime, but as beautiful as ever. Okay, maybe monsters kept coming back forever. But so did demigods. Generation after generation, Camp Half-Blood had endured. And Camp Jupiter. Even separately, the two camps had survived. Now, if the Greeks and Romans could come together, they would be even stronger. There was still hope. He and Annabeth had come this far. The doors of death were almost within reach. Sons and daughters. A ridiculous thought. An awesome thought. Right there in the middle of Tartarus, Percy grinned. What's wrong? Annabeth whispered. With a zombie death mist disguise, Percy probably looked like he was grimacing in pain. Nothing, he said. I was just somewhere in between, somewhere in front of them. A deep voice bellowed, Iapetus! And that's the end of chapter 61. Overall, I think that these were a very fascinating set of chapters, especially the last one. I think that we truly are starting to see the struggle of a demigod. I think that with all of the experiences that Percy and Annabeth have gone through. I think that this is probably one of the few chapters that we have seen where Percy actually gets to reflect on, you know, what it is to be a demigod and potentially, you know, is it worth doing it? And you, that's where you see, you know, reflection like for reflection times like this. And you see how you have people like Luke who felt that this wasn't necessary. Who felt that they weren't getting they, they weren't getting rewarded for their for their actions or anything that they had done for the camp, so they decided to turn to the dark side. However, I do want to bring up something again. Um, I think that Percy's realization later on is regarding the generations. Just like how monsters continue to continue to be reborn, there will be generations after generations fighting for Camp Half Blood, fighting for the Greek and Roman sides of gods. There will always be an army for the gods as well, and it will always be continuing. Is it going to be the same people? No. 
but as long as they but it, it rather comes down to the fact that when you do you know as long as you're trying your best that's all right because as if you're trying your best and trying your best to defend the camp i think that that's just as good as anything and i think that with luke he wasn't able to um it seemed that you know he was getting too tired of it but i think that realization that came to him at the end and it was that that sometimes it, it i think this it's it also applies to life sometimes life is hard sometimes you go through these obstacles that just makes you want to give up it just makes you want to just sit down and just not do anything however that's the part of life that's part of life going through these obstacles getting over these obstacles that's what truly makes you stronger that's what makes you a better individual so i think that this really this this these chapters really help us not only understand the demigods perspectives and their journey as they continue to fight these monsters but also we can apply our own uh perspectives and our own lives into this and we can draw conclusions and life lessons from this that are really helpful for us to understand which is why i think that these chapters and these books are just i really like them um so yeah i hope you guys enjoyed that just as much as i did and now we're going to move on to the q and a session uh something i would like to say is uh if i miss your question or if i miss your sh- your name for the shout out do please let me know and i'll try my best to get you in the next episode um for the questions i would like to put a disclaimer if uh sometimes i will read the question and sometimes i may feel that it is a bit too personal to- for me to answer at the moment uh that is nothing against you it's just i feel a little bit uncomfortable at the moment answering it uh but hopefully if i am more comfortable answering those uh questions in the future then i will try my best to answer them but at the moment i am a bit uncomfortable with answering those questions i hope you guys understand thank you guys very much moving on to our shout outs we have number 1 something and number 2 amanda thank you guys now moving on to the questions who do you think is funnier in general percy or leo I would probably have to say um and this is you know objectively and subjectively I think that Percy and Leo both have their different types of humor um when you see in earlier books where it was more Percy uh centered uh you could see that his humor is in a way it has similar characteristics to Leo's however they also do have their own differences and in that way they do you know make people laugh in different ways So I think that with Leo it's more of um you know that very energetic attitude and the fact that you know he's just he's just you know that really like um uh without a care for the world you know he's very confident in what he does and I think that with Percy he shares that similar trait of confidence with Leo um but when it comes and then when it comes to his jokes and his humor I think that it's a bit more lighthearted and um uh, it's you know when he gives his jokes it's like you know actual jokes and you know when you when you read them you're like oh ha 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 i get them so i think that they both have two different um types of humors or j- set of humors uh, but i think that i equally like them both um next question is favorite and least favorite book uh, i believe my favorite book was the lost hero uh i really enjoyed uh when they started introducing leo uh jason and piper It was very fascinating to see them getting introduced and the dynamics between them. 
So I think that, especially since Leo is my favorite character, it was very, it was very entertaining to see him, um, just, uh, you know, be in that book for the first time. It was very fascinating to see him, how he was. Uh, next question. Why did you start a podcast? Um, so the thought process for me, uh, starting this podcast was that I really liked Greek mythology and I knew I wanted to start a podcast and I didn't know what I was going to do it on. And then I slowly realized that um, I saw this idea um, about, you know, reading books. And I thought that this was a really neat idea. And I wanted to give it a try, especially the fact that I love Greek mythology. I've been an avid fan of greek mythology books and just learning about mythology in general ever since i was little so i you know it came to me that you know why couldn't why not uh start this podcast and you know just uh continue my interest while also sharing it with others so yeah that was my thought process when it came to starting the podcast um next question is why do you always say stay safe and stay out of boredom at the end of the podcast um I think in the beginning, I said it a couple of times, and then I guess it just turned into a catchphrase for me that, you know, I I thought it was a pretty neat catchphrase, and I liked it a lot, so I I just kept saying it at the end of every podcast. So, yeah, that's why why I say it at the end uh, of every podcast. Uh, Next question is, who would win in a fight, Percy or Kirby? Um... Now, it depends. If you're talking about Kirby from Super Smash Bros., I'd probably say Kirby has a pretty pretty good advantage just based off of what Kirby, I believe, does in that game. But um, other than that, I would probably say um, it just depends. Uh, if you're talking about Kirby from Smash Bros., uh, Super Smash Bros., I'd probably say Kirby. Um, if you're talking about Kirby from potentially other versions, maybe Percy, but I'd have to see about that one. Uh, so it just depends on the situation. Uh, next question is, do you think Bob the cat will ever go bad? I don't think Bob the cat will go bad just because of how I don't, I, 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 I'm honestly convinced that Bob the cat just doesn't know what's going on and just, just loves napping whenever he can or whenever it can. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Bob the cat is a very adorable cat. Uh, I don't think, uh, I don't, I don't think it has potential to go bad. Um, however, Bob potentially, it's very fast. It's very interesting to see how, how he's dealing with this entire, um, relationship with Percy and, uh, and Annabeth. Um, you know, he's kind of on that line between, you know, uh, he's on that line between thinking of, uh, you know, whether he should trust them and then not thinking of, you know, not knowing to when to trust them. So it's very fascinating to see that as well. Uh, next question is, who would your godly crush be? And who do you think would fall for you? Uh, my godly crush? That's a hard one. I'd probably... I'd probably have to get back to you on that one. That'd be really fascinating. Actually... I'd also like to know how about let's let's also have this question for everyone else. Who would your godly crush be? Uh, who would who which god god would which god or goddess do you think is like wow? They're really cool. So let me know in the comments below. 
Uh, who would you think would fall for you? That is also a very hard question. Um, I'm not sure. Potentially, I could ask Cupid and just ask Cupid to shot, shoot an arrow at someone and just make them fall in love with me. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, uh, I... I really don't know. These that 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 these this is a very interesting question. Um I'd have to think more on that one. But yeah. Next question is what should we call you? The podcaster or some other name? Um I think the podcaster would be good for now. Uh I'll think of a potentially a shorter name cuz I feel like the the podcaster is also a very long name to say again and again. But I'll think more on what shorter nickname I could potentially use for everybody and yeah um yeah i'll definitely think more on that one as well uh next question is can you read the kane chronicles hopefully yes i'm very interested um i i do know that kane chronicles is about egyptian mythology so i'm i'd be very excited to um read that one so hopefully in the future yes next question is favorite book series uh I do, I don't have a favorite book series, but I do have a favorite author. Uh, I do believe his name is Scott Westerfield. I do like his his pieces, his books. Um, I think I read uh, the book on imposters. That was a really good series. I really liked that series. Um, or at least that book. Uh, I'm still on the, on the series. But so far, it's a really good series. Next question is, have my parents or guardians ever heard me making a podcast uh in the earlier days yes they did uh next question is have you read the ugly series uh i don't believe so i'd have to look more into that but i'd be very interested in reading that one um next question is favorite book or book series um favorite book is imposters favorite book series is probably that imposter series, um, or anything written by Scott Westerfield. Um, so yeah, that is the end of the Q and A session. I hope you guys enjoyed this just as much as I did. And thank you guys for all the questions and until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.